So what I want to do, um, before I get into the final message on our Shepherd Psalm 23 series, um, I want to share with you a scripture that I just found this week, and I ordered the book right away. It arrived way too fast, like the next day instantly. It's called the First Nations Version, New Testament. And it's like, what? So when I read this, uh, I thought, okay, it's like the Passion Translation. It's like the Mirror Bible. It's like another translation that says it differently. And in light of last week, we had uh, a special day remembering the indigenous children that went missing and all the, the brutal Canadian history in our residential schools. Uh, this was super timely. So I want to share with this with you today and then next Sunday uh, at our Thanksgiving service, I have one other passage that uh, I want to read from it. But let's, let's take a look to see what this translation sounds like. And I think you'll like it. This is the Beatitudes. So you've heard the Beatitudes, right? Most of you have. If you haven't, it'll be great anyway. When creator sets free, Jesus, saw this great crowd, he went back up the mountainside and sat down to teach the people. His followers came to him there. So he took a deep breath, opened his mouth, and began to share his wisdom with them and teach them how to see creator's good road. Clicker. Creator's blood, oops. Can I have it back? Yep. Oh, there we go. Okay. Creator's blessings rest on the poor, the ones with broken spirits. The good road from above is theirs to walk. Creator's blessings, blessing rests on the ones who walk the trail of tears, for he will wipe the tears from their eyes and comfort them. Creator's blessing rests on the one who walks softly and in a humble manner. The earth, land, and sky will become them and always to their home, will be, welcome them and always be their home. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right again. Ooh. And they will eat and drink until they are full. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are merciful and kind to others. Their kindness will find its way back to them full circle. Creator's blessing rests on the pure of heart. They're the ones who will see the great spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who make peace. It will be said of them, they are the children of the great spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are hunted down and mistreated for doing what is right, for they are walking the good road from above. Others will lie about you, speak against you, and look down on you with scorn and contempt, all because you walk the road with me. This is a sign that Creator's blessing is resting on you. So, let your hearts be glad and jump for joy, for you will be honored in the spirit world above. You are like the prophets of old who were treated in the same way by your ancestors. Woo-wee. What'd you think? Different, huh? Some would be very uncomfortable with replacing the word God uh, with creator or great spirit. But remember, we're not the special ones who have the elite and only definition and interpretation of God's word. <laughs> if you think that, you don't understand your arrogance. 
And that, I've had to come to grips with that. And I have seen and learned so much from other cultures. Imagine reading a Bible translated in Africa to different, different tribes there and different cultures. It's going to have a same cultural flair. I love that. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to read another one next week. All right. The shepherd. The last number of weeks I've been reading Psalm 23 and trying to read from different versions, trying to highlight uh, different sentences and what they can mean or uh, add some depth to understanding it. Um, And I came across this quick run through. Instead of reading Psalm 23 like I did, I want to read it with a different um, uh, commentary. This is done by Owen Hughes in 2017. He writes, the Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. I shall not want. That's my supply. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That's refreshment. He restores my soul. That's healing. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For his name's sake, that's purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I will fear no evil, that's protection. For thou art with me, that's faithfulness. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me, that's discipline. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that's hope. By the way, I'm going to jump back for a second. This word discipline is not meant to be understood as in the hitting kind, because that's the exact opposite of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that the rod and staff are never used as hitting tools on any sheep. It's about guiding and directing. That's what discipline is. It can be used in other ways, but the context here is that kind of loving discipline. He uh, prepareth the table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. Thou anointest my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup runneth over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. That's security forever. That's eternity. (laughs) Kind of cool. Just a last run through of a way to see each line. And again, I want to remind you that Psalm 23 is about agape, others-centered love. Every single sentence is about a shepherd caring for the needs. But now we have the shepherd, Jesus. I'm jumping to the New Testament uh, because there's some really, really good stuff here that uh, I think you're going to like. We're going to talk about a couple of the parables. And in these parables, the true heart of Jesus is revealed. Jesus came for many reasons. Um, By the way, Russ, if I can get uh, uh, two AAA batteries, this is going to go any moment. Um, Uh, to to know the true heart of the shepherd, Jesus came to reveal something that we may not be aware of. He didn't just come to fulfill a list that we've been told in the church world. He came to die for us. Yes, he did. All these things. But I think more importantly, Jesus came to fix the misconceptions the world and the religious leaders all had of how they saw his father. He came to correct their perspective on who God the Father was. Very different than all the other stuff. He came to give life and give it abundantly. We can make a great list. That doesn't change any of them. It's still on, though. Uh, it doesn't change any of the uh, um, uh, details of, that we've heard already. But when I see a deeper understanding of Jesus through his stories and parables, he's, he's sharing something really huge. Let's look at the lost sheep for a moment. The story of the lost sheep is this shepherd caring for 100 sheep, okay, which is pretty good. 
one of them gets lost. So it's gone. And what does the shepherd do? <coughs> he leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one. And when he finds the one, what does he do? He celebrates. Yeah, I got my sheep back. That's pretty cool. We've heard that a hundred times. Yeah, what's so special about that story then? Well, it's one sheep. Just one. See, all lives do matter. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> Just in case you didn't catch that. <laughs> anyway, the lost sheep. It was owned by the shepherd. The shepherd couldn't find it. He was, the sheep was gone and lost. And what did the shepherd do? Just like in Psalm 23, he pursues you may be lost in your thinking, but your Heavenly Father has not forgotten about you. Your Heavenly Father is deeply, deeply connected to you. Let's go to the next one. This is raising up the ante, the lost coin. Same concept. We've got a woman who's lost one of her coins. Now, if you've ever seen some jewelry stuff on, on counters, like, how are you really going to miss one, really? But anyway, she lost one coin, and it was of super value, and she searched her house, she, uh, whatever the houses were like back then, and this is the idea, this is a story, okay, a parable. So she searches and searches and searches and finds her coin, and what does she do? Like the shepherd, celebrates, invites her friends over. It must be a really expensive coin for you to invite your friends over to celebrate. Woohoo! I found it! It's like me scoring a home run yesterday. Everybody celebrated with me. There, I slipped it in. Some of the baseball guys are wondering, how are you going to slip in your home run? I just did. Everybody's celebrating. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes. <laughs> so they're celebrating this lost coin. Let me tell you something really important about this lost coin, which is very similar to the sheep. Who owned the coin? You can, you're about to answer. Who owned the coin? The woman? The woman. I know it's obvious, but... Help me out here. The woman owned the coin, so it had an owner. The shepherd owned the sheep. It had an owner. Ownership was never lost. Are you catching that? Now, in the coin story, Jesus ramps it up. The coin has tremendous value. It never lost its value. If I pull out a $20 bill, and I don't have it with me, oops, if I pull out a $20 bill and I crinkle it up and then offer it, do you think you'll take it? Of course you'll take it. Why? It's still worth 20 bucks, right? What if I covered it in, in uh, dirt and mud and crunkle it up and, and just stomp on it with gravel and everything? Do you still want it? Yes. We have plastic money in Canada, so it washes off. <laughs> so <coughs> that's funny. What if I covered it in, we got horses out here because it's a Mennonite town. What if it falls in the manure and gets stomped and squished in the manure? Would you still want it? Oh, you nice people. No. But it, listen, it still has its value. It can be cleaned. All right? Sanitized, blah, blah, blah. But it never loses its value. How many times have we said of our loved ones, and I'm speaking to the church world now, Okay? Uh, there are people watching that are new to the church world, and man, you're lucky that you missed all the indoctrination from the past in some ways. The rest of us are still unlearning and learning and deconstructing and rebuilding and renovating. It's a beautiful journey. But many have been told that, oh, so-and-so's fallen away from the Lord. Yes, they're lost. You know, well, if Jesus comes to save the lost, 
Well, we got two stories of lost, lost sheep, lost coin, and we're going to talk about the lost son in a second. But they still have value. They're still owned by the, here and for our, our family members. Jesus is the one who loves us all, as, is connected to all of us. There is no such thing as separation, except up here. Big difference. So how do we dive into the lost son story then? I think Jesus ups the ante even more. I don't think this story should be called the prodigal son. That's how I've grown up hearing about it. It's because some translator added words into the like a uh, paragraph and called it the prodigal son. <laughs> Nowadays, we're seeing more and more changes, but I don't think it should be called the prodigal son. I think it should be called the loving father, which I think is far more accurate to what's really going on. And if you remember a series we did a while back on the prodigal son, to look up the definition of what prodigal means, it means ridiculously irresponsible, okay? Um, lavish spending immaturely, insane generosity, if that's what it means, which it does, I wonder if it's the father's more prodigal. Think about that. The kid says, Dad, yo, Dad, give me my money now before you croak. Like, that's rude. <laughs> you don't do that these days. You don't ask your parents for your inheritance now. Un- you just can't think of that. But the father does. So there's, a, there's an interesting parallel, like father, like son. <laughs> there's something there. So I think the story's about the loving father, and the son gets lost in his mind. So the story's like this. Son goes and asks the father, hey, can I have my money? Dad does, gives him the money, and he goes off. If you've ever read those comic books from way back in the 70s and 80s, uh, no, okay. The, the, the church comic books where they tell parables. and this, The pictures in the thing is he's on a big yacht. He's got girls all around him. He's got, he's got drinks coming everywhere. He's, he's just spending. He's like filthy, filthy rich. Spend, spend, spend. And somehow you have a lot of friends when you're rich. <laughs> okay, it kind of happens. You know, somebody wins a lottery. Suddenly they have new friends. <laughs> it's kind of what happens. And so suddenly the money runs out. And he's having a hard time. No friends, he's alone, funny how that works. He ends up having to feed pigs. Now, this is a Jewish context. Jews don't go near pigs. It's like unclean, stay away. And so here we have a story of a a desperate young man. Now, the one translation says, he then came to his senses. What could that mean? I thought it would mean, ah, he woke up and became mature. That's how we've interpreted it. Have we not? I have. What if that's not it at all? What if he came to his senses of, I'm in deep, Borsh. I'm in deep trouble, and I need help. And I think my dad's got, I can be a servant on his farm. So coming to his senses is not necessarily about an honest awakening. And here's where the, I think the evidence is. So he begins to plot a plan of manipulation. He wouldn't call it that because he's desperate. But he's starting to write his script. Dear dad, oh, I'm so, so sorry. 
I have sinned against you. And, and oh my goodness, I didn't know what I was thinking. And oh, he, it was a really good speech. TED Talks would have been awesome for him, okay? He would have had it. Well, if he's preparing that kind of a speech, hoping to just even be a servant, I'm not worthy to be called your son, okay? But he is a son. He's forgotten it. He, he recognizes, yeah, I got the DNA, but um, I, I'm not worthy. He thought he outbehaved himself, which is a really big deal. That happens in our, our culture. And the church world feeds that lie. Behavior um, is supposed to be a response to what you believe. But we've told people, start behaving and then you'll become Act like this, then you'll become holy. Act like this, and you'll be loved. Maintain this behavior, and you'll remain acceptable, because if it's going to be, it's up to you. That's really what we've said in the Christian religion. Is it not true? That's the system. It's not true. And, of course, here at Hope Fellowship, we've dug in a lot deeper, and we realize, okay, we understand where they came from, but it's better. Now, that the more we grow into know how much God loves us, we now live in response. Our behavior just shows us how, what we believe. You know? There's some great wisdom in scripture. You know, don't do that, it's kinda dumb. You know, it's gonna have serious consequences. But it's not a law to force you to act your way into righteousness. Because what happens if you find out you are already righteous? That you're already a child of God. So, here's something cool. As the story continues, the son heads back, he's walking along, whatever it is. The father suddenly sees his son coming from a distance. That's key. Most parents, you gotta ring that doorbell several times, maybe they'll hear you in the backyard, or maybe they went out to get groceries, or go for a long walk, and they don't care who comes to the door, but the father in the story sees his son coming from far off, which implies, again, it's a parable, okay? Jesus knew what he was doing. He's communicating the father was anticipating his son coming back. He was hoping, hoping, hoping. Was it a realistic hope? Probably not, but it was a good hope. He still had hope. We still have hope for our loved ones, right? There's, a, there's an honest hope there, a sliver of light, maybe, just maybe. And the father <gasps> saw his son and does something disgraceful, because apparently in their culture, you're not supposed to hike up and show your legs. So. He doesn't care what everybody else thinks. And he hightails it to his son. It's the only story in scripture where we hear the term, when God ran. <laughs> Benny Hester wrote a song many, many, many years ago um, on that. And it's called, When God Ran. It's a beautiful song, worth listening to if you can find it on YouTube. Um, but that's the only image where he runs to his son. And his son sees his father come and it gets close and he does this. He sticks to the script. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Password. Dear dad, I really screwed up, I'm sorry. And his dad said, put away the phone. I don't care. Ah, it's so good to see you, big hug. <coughs> like, the kid probably stinks. The long, you know, it's like walking in the same clothes and sweating it. It's like, you know, it just, but the father didn't care. Hugs him. Squeezes him, my son. He wouldn't even let his son finish the speech because the speech didn't matter. I think that's when repentance 
really came. I think that is when the son came to his senses because he saw the unconditional, relentless love of the father. The loving father. That's the story. Now, it gets worse. He calls the servants and says, hey, get a really nice robe on this guy. Probably a shower is a good idea too. Put a ring on his finger. Hey, that calf we've been waiting to barbecue. Sorry, vegans, plug your ears. That calf we're going to barbecue, we'll get it on. We're going to have a party and they get the stuff ready. They're barbecuing and suddenly there's celebration. There's cheering going on. And there's this other brother. I call him the self-righteous church board member. (laughs) That's really pushing it, I know. But still, it works. He's out in the field working diligently because he's a loyal son doing everything that is required. And here's the party and asks the servant, hey, what's going on? Oh, your brother's home. Aren't you excited? This is going to be amazing. Come on and have her join the party. And I don't think the look on this brother's face was very good. I think it was, he got mad. He was furious, refused to come in. Well, dad hears about it. So the father does something. He goes out to where the son is. And he says, hey, come on to the party. And the brother, who has a long history of tradition and rule following, says, father, this son of yours has squandered, and he makes the list of all the defects. Isn't shame a wonderful weapon? Because he was also shaming the father. How could you have done that? He lumped it all in. He'd been carrying this grudge for a long time while dutifully serving. Both sons had the same problem. They thought that what they did, behavior, affected their relationship and how their father saw them. The one son, by acting dutifully, serving on every committee, showing up whenever the church opened, unlocked, whatever, even did the cleaning when no one was around, all that stuff, all the right stuff, he did it to get acceptance. And the prodigal son, while having a party, came back and thought his behavior changed the perspective of his father's love towards him completely. Both sons had the same problem, same lie they believed. And the father says to his oldest son, oh my goodness, seriously? Don't you know all I have is yours? That line is critical. I've been pondering that sentence for years. And it makes so much sense now. I think that line is saying, don't you know who you are? Don't you know your true identity? You're my child. You're my son. You could have had a party anytime. Get another calf, whatever. This is equal. This isn't a totem pole of hierarchy. This is relationship. And the story ends in a very interesting way. There's a huge party going on inside, and the oldest son is outside, but where's the father at the end of the story? Outside, in that darkness with his son. With him in his darkness, lost sheep goes after the lost sheep, and it still has value. The son has value too. Both do. 
please don't forget this. This is the heart of the shepherd. In John 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. This passage speaks of the intimacy of our relationship with him. He knows us by our name. He calls us to follow him. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. Oh my goodness. You want to be like Jesus? There it is. Whoop. That is it. Jesus lays his life down, risks it for the needs of others above himself. That is a tough pill to swallow because we all want our own way. You ever have small kids? <laughs> they certainly want their own way. And some kids don't grow up. It just continues on to adulthood. We want our own way. This is grace in action. This is how we express love. Giving up our rights, which we never really had anyway. Sorry, it's just true. And then it turns into an incredibly loving relationship. I'm going to go through this part really quick because I only have a couple minutes. But this is the best restoration story after really bad denial. If you have screwed up so bad and have hurt a relationship so bad... This is pretty cool. This is, the, this is a true Jesus thing. I love this. So what's happened? Oop, I'll come back. His, this is how the story begins. Peter has now denied Jesus three times. Oh, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Well, actually, you will, Jesus, uh, Peter. You can actually do it three times before the rooster crows. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I will not. And he does. And it feels very shamed and awful when he's done. And I think Jesus knew that because he knows Peter really well. Peter was a firecracker. Spoke first before thinking, acted first, pulled the sword out, and he wasn't going for the ear. He was probably going, to, going for the jugular, something to, to make a mark. And Jesus heals the ear back on that guard in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now, after the resurrection, here it is. After breakfast, Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love agape, me, more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I phileo you. That, oops. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love agape, me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I phileo you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Agape is the Greek word for other-centered love. Full out, everyone else is in focus. Storge is the Greek word for parental love. Phileo, like phileo fish, is a friendship love. Then we have eros, where, the, where we get the word erotic, but it's a taking love in a sense. It's selfish in many ways. Um, but that's, there's a couple other words they use for love, but these are the dominant four. 
So you, you notice, Jesus said, do you agape me? Yes, I phileo you. Do you agape me? Yes, I phileo you. Then Jesus says, do you phileo me? Yes, I phileo you. Jesus came down to whatever, whatever level Peter was willing to give at any given moment. Wow! Thinking of others around him and their reception of truth. Hmm. That's a big deal. And he restores Peter. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It took me a while to figure out there was a difference in between each, each of those lines. He speaks, feed my lambs, which is the younger. Then he says, tend my sheep, take care of those that I've given you leadership over, and now feed them too. This is, he's restoring them. Do you deny, the first denial, do you love me? Second denial, do you love me? Third denial, do you love me? And he restores Peter in the same pattern that Peter was owning his shame. Three denials, three I love yous. Hmm. I think it's beautiful. And we don't see that very often in our culture. It's a, it's a message of hope from a shepherd who deeply loves us. Can I have the click? It's a big message because the shepherd cares for the needs of the sheep, not their own needs. You want to know if you're growing, maturing? Evidence will be you're thinking of other people's needs over your own. And this one hurts to hear because sometimes we can get very self-centered and focused on what we want. I've seen our church dinners sometimes and <laughs> we do a buffet. Woo, pile on! <laughs> Not thinking of others. It's really funny. Not all the time. But it's just a brutal example. So today... Maybe go for a walk or go into a quiet place and just ponder, Lord, where am I not thinking of others first? And you might get humbled and then respond to it. I think that's how Jesus does it, gently. We don't point out other people's shame. Shame says you are something bad. Guilt says you did something bad. Big difference. And shame will keep you from maturing if you don't confront it. Like the older son and younger son, do you know who you are? Do you know you're already accepted? I hope that hits your heart. All right. This week, for those making online donations, don't forget to do that because we're still going. And then in 15 minutes or so, Yep, exactly 15 minutes. I'm gonna to go to my laptop, we're gonna jump on and do the Zoom chat for maximum 15 minutes, and I'll come back and see who's left, and we'll keep chatting here. But uh, thank you for watching online, and next Sunday's uh, Thanksgiving. Don't forget the Thanksgiving food drive, uh, Benevolent Fund, whatever it is, however you wanna do it. I will send another email out this week on that. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week. Tell me when we're ready. Are we good, Russ?